Greetings, everyone. Welcome to Keeping It Real with Janine, your guide to living an authentic, healthy life. I'm Janine Strong, your hostess, and today my guest is Dr. Robert Champagne. I think you're going to find this to be a very intriguing and maybe controversial conversation. Dr. Robert Champagne is a retired chiropractor who ran one of the largest family-oriented chiropractic practices in Manitoba. And he did that for 20 years until 1998. Then he was in South Calgary for the next 10 years and part-time in the Fernie, B.C. area until he retired. He's always been an avid skier, mountain biker, hiker, and just an overall outdoor enthusiast. And he's been involved in building and maintaining mountain bike trails since the late 1980s. Dr. Robert is co-founder and past president of Chiropractic for the World Foundation, and that's a nonprofit organization that actively works to expand the availability of chiropractic care around the world. Over the years, he's had many opportunities to share his passion about chiropractic, the foundation, and health in general as a featured speaker at many venues. Dr. Robert is keenly passionate about our current events, so this should be, as I said, an informative, interesting, and for some, controversial conversation. Robert sent me a few of his favorite quotes. The first one is, we never know how far-reaching something we may think, say, or do today will affect the lives of millions tomorrow. I love that one. And then there's this one, if it is to be, it is up to me. And the third one, and into the woods I go to lose my mind and find my soul. Hi, Robert. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks a lot for having me on your podcast. I always appreciate hearing your podcast, so it's an honor to be on there. Oh, thank you so much. Well, we've, uh, as, as usual with guests that I tend to connect with, we've already had a long conversation, so this is going to be quite interesting. Um, now, I wanted to just share with everyone because, you know, timing's everything, and, and uh, I think you and I both agree nothing is coincidental or by accident. I just received a, a little audio clip from actually someone I don't even know, but this is from a, a woman in Israel. Uh, it's just recent. She, This poor woman was in tears, and what she was wanting to tell the world is, she said, you know, she didn't know if people knew what was going on in Israel. But she said that um, students cannot take their matriculation exams without showing proof of being vaccinated. She said they're using green passports now. You can't go to the theater or the mall. You know, you can't do uh, most of your shopping without a green passport. She said uh, your private medical records, they're now being sent to the, the municipalities, to the government agencies. And she said that when you return to Israel, after you've traveled to another country, you have to wear an ankle bracelet. And she called this a medical apartheid. After the Holocaust, it really, I have to say, it, it's kind of shocking to me that, that this is happening in Israel. No kidding. Wow. You know, it's uh, it reminds me of a T-shirt I saw recently that uh, 
It says, um, I need to get some more conspiracy theories because the ones I used to believe in all came true. I mean, it's really the way it is. These things that are happening right now are really only things that we imagine would only happen if 1984 became true or whatever. I but know. I agree. And, you know, I've been, I mean, a lot of these quote unquote conspiracy theories, I mean, I've been hearing a lot of this for decades, right? And some of it I'd kind of go, well, yeah. And a lot of it, I'd, oh, that seems a little far out for me. But, you know, a lot of it is happening. For sure. And, you know, I recently saw one that says, uh, I saw a sign that says the real conspiracy theorists believe that the, that the government cares about them. The media would never mislead or lie to them. And the pharmaceutical industry that makes billions off sickness wants to cure them. To me, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I've been saying lately, uh, when somebody says something, oh, that's conspiracy theory. I'm like, well, you're half right. It is a conspiracy, but it's not a theory. That's right. You can call it conspiracy research if you want, or conspiracy confirmation. <laughs> yes, I like that. Or I heard somebody said uh, they were a conspiracy investigator. There you go. Yeah. I like that too. You know, I just, I find it so frustrating because I don't know how many times when I've tried to present some information that did not follow, you know, what we'll call the mainstream narrative right away. Oh, that's conspiracy theory. Mm -hmm. Oh, uh, okay, because this is information that's different from what you think is correct, it, it may be, but you're not even willing to consider it or look at it. I, I, I don't understand. I mean, to me, there are thousands of what doctors and scientists and people all over the world who are saying something's wrong here. This isn't mm -hmm. right. Don't you think that? should be looked at or at least given some consideration oh for sure doesn't it? yeah i've got a really good friend who i recently had a chat with and he he asked me so robert why don't you wear a mask you know like it doesn't seem to make sense it's not your style and i said you know what i honestly really 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 care about people a lot and that's why i don't wear a mask i said you may not understand but we'll have a chat about that sometime soon and, you know, I mean, basically, I don't want to wear a mask because of the fact that I really don't want to have this oppressive government that is being imposed upon us. And how many freedoms do we have to lose before we get our freedom back? If I'm not part of the part of the solution, I'm going to be part of the problem. So I cannot in good conscience uh, show up with a mask anywhere because it's against my conscience to do to do so. So when I had a chat with him and I explained to him where I was all coming from and what I really saw as being the truth about what's happening around the world right now, he said, you know, Robert, I really sounds like you're part of a cult. <laughs> and he honestly was being very realistic. And he was he was being honest and mm -hmm. was worried for me that I was in a cult. And it's like, what the heck? I can't believe this is my good friend, you know, but that's where the world is at right now. The mainstream media has been sheltering people from anything near the truth. There's been so much censorship. It's incredible. I mean, I can't believe the censorship. And the, the, the uncanny thing is that the average person who's following uh, mainstream media doesn't even know that there's censorship because they're not looking for the kind of information that we're seeing that's being censored. Mm, that's so a good point. Know. They don't even know that it's being censored unless they hear from it on the mainstream media. It's really sad. I know. I just, I've just been absolutely floored as to how people can think the censorship that's happening. And I mean, it, 
people who use YouTube or Facebook, I mean, you, you know that there's, there's censorship occurring and, and how that can be okay. I, I don't, mm-hmm. just because it's not your point of view means it's, it's okay to censor it. And, and yeah. half the time, these fact checkers, whoever or whatever they are, I mean, I don't know how many things I've posted that are, are solidly backed up, you know, by, by good solid information. Fact checker says, this is false. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Now I'm using BitChute to do my, my video slideshows because YouTube is, is censoring some of my things now. And it's, it's ridiculous. I, I, I don't, I, I really feel like it's like Nazi Germany. I mean, people aren't getting it, you know, they're, I know. yeah. And not just, not just Germany, but other, you know, dictatorships where anything that doesn't, doesn't follow the narrative of the, the people in power and whatever it is they're trying to uh, accomplish, you know, that it just gets censored. It's, it's not allowed. And mm-hmm. I, I don't understand how people can go along with it. It's, it is incredible how I, I have some very intelligent, good friends who are not even willing, like you say, to listen to any kind of common sense. And it's like, I've always been one, a big one about critical thinking. Like, for example, <laughs> I will not follow a rule unless it makes sense. Like if there's any kind of rule that comes out that really doesn't make any sense to me and there's no kind of documentation or or any kind of research that says that that's the right thing to do then i'm not going to follow it i mm-hmm. just don't i just refuse to so that's called critical thinking as far as i'm concerned i'll look at things and say well yeah that makes sense like for example i'm you know as you said in my intro i'm very avid mountain biker and i wear a helmet mm-hmm. and in some provinces it is a law to wear a helmet when you're biking And I agree with that law because I'd rather I've had a lot of severe falls and I'd rather have a helmet on if I'm going to hit my head on a rock. So that's a rule that makes sense to me and I will follow it, Mm -hmm. not because it's a rule or a law, but because of the fact that it makes sense. Right. Right. So nowadays, though, people have lost their sense of critical thinking due to fear. They've been scared into believing that they're in such a pandemic. And I sent something to my children just a little while ago. I sent a full page ad that was shown in our local paper. And it was a big full page ad saying we are in the middle of a pandemic. Make sure you social distance and this and that, whatever. And I sent it to my kids and I said, you know, if we were really in a true pandemic, I don't think they would have to remind us with a full page ad in the paper. I right. think we would know. And so I sent him the skit, the Monty Python skit. Oh, God, I love about Monty Python. Bring Out Your Dead. Look at the two-minute sketch by Monty Python called Bring Out Your Dead. And that should be what a pandemic is like, where they're rolling through the streets with their cart. Bring out your dead. Bring out your dead. That's what a true pandemic should look like. But we're looking at a rate of over 99% of people that are contracting COVID are surviving. And that's people over 70 mm-hmm. even. And we're worried about this pan- so-called pandemic. I can't even call it a pandemic. Usually I call it a pandemic because right. I know that there's a lot of plans behind this whole plan, you know, pandemic for sure. So Well, and I think people just don't, I mean, I don't want to believe it that, that, this is planned or, or at least been taken advantage of, right? Bobby Kennedy, um, I, who's my new hero, uh, yeah. Bobby Kennedy and Dr. Zach Bush, they're my two new heroes. Bobby Kennedy recommends that everyone read uh, Naomi Klein's book, 
um, shock doctrine, the rise of disaster capitalism. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's, it's hard to believe that people will knowingly and enthusiastically either create a disaster through war or take advantage of a disaster to, I, I don't know, take control, power. I don't know if it's about power, greed, control, whatever it is, but to, uh, to forward their agenda. It's very unfortunate. And, you know, there are, it's like, there are billionaires out there in the world, as we know, several (laughs) billionaires, and money is nice. People love to have lots of money to have the power. And I've always said that money generally is not an issue. It doesn't make you a bad person. I think that having money basically intensifies who you are. So if you're really, really good person and you have lots of money, you're ultimately going to become a more powerful, good person. And as long as you keep that integrity of who you are, you just are a better, good person. If you're a bad person and you have lots of money, then you're going to become a better, bad person. You're going to have more power as a bad person. Therefore, you end up having more power and so on. So there's a lot of billionaires out there who have a, a lot of power and I kind of see it as, and I've seen this written several times, that after a while, money isn't enough and control and power and having control over people is more the high that they get rather than just the high of having billions of dollars. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, that seems to be what's happening right now is that there's a lot of people that are trying to take control of our souls. I I would agree. I mean, I don't know. There's so many different interesting threads like uh, I was listening to a panel there's a doctor he's a psychiatrist and he said he looked into 16 billionaires he dove deep into their you know their life their finances and he said all but one was deeply in the pockets of the Chinese Communist Party mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and and then lately I've been reading you know Bill Gates has been, quietly buying up thousands of acres of farmland and and interest in food production and seed in food distribution and wow what is what is really going on here yeah for sure and i can understand people not wanting to look at it i mean it's it's not nice it's nice to be able to be in your uh, in your little corner and think that everything is not really happening behind the scenes. But at one point, you have to you know take a reality check and say, wait a minute, this just doesn't make sense. You know, you're talking about uh, the people that that seem to have control over what's going on, and yeah, I guess it becomes at some point you have to start getting out of the fear. And start realizing that the more you're in fear mode, the more your critical thinking is being incapacitated. Mm -hmm. So you have to get out of fear mode, start doing some critical thinking and possibly delve into what they're calling conspiracy theories and see if maybe that makes sense, that maybe there is something I should look into. Personally, I joke around about saying, you know, I'm a retired chiropractor and my retirement project now is building bike trails because I love biking and I love getting people out in nature and giving them a chance to explore nature through trails. And that's my retirement project is building trails. A guy like Bill Gates, who has all the money he could ever want and has looked like this amazing guy through the years, he looks like he's a philanthropist and everything else, his retirement project is basically world domination. Mm -hmm. My retirement project is building trails. 
his and many of the big billionaires is world domination. They would love to be able to just control everybody. Mm -hmm. I know. And the way you control people is through fear. I want to touch on the topic of fear for a moment because, you know, when I was studying NLP, one of the things that they talk about is, are you making decisions and choices because you're moving away from something you don't want? Or is it because you're moving towards something you want? And it's a very important distinction. Oh, I'm very, I'm very big on that too, in the sense that I, I don't like talking about fighting for something, even fighting for freedom. I don't like fighting for stuff. What I would rather do is work towards something rather than fight against oppression or a fight against this it's rather working towards something it's just like if you have a child that's walking up to you a young child who's coming with a glass of milk and he's walking up towards you and you say don't spill that glass of milk chances are you have just created the picture of spilling that glass of milk and that child will likely spill that glass of milk if you can say hang on tight to that glass of milk just rephrase it and make it a little bit differently you just reframe that there's a very good chance that that child will hang on tight to that glass of milk because you've created a different picture. So I think it's really important that we look at how we how we phrase what we're doing. Words are very important, and therefore we have to make sure that we phrase things in such a way that it it's going towards what we want and not what we don't want. So I, I totally agree with that. I'm very big on that. Yes. Well, it's my understanding that. Your subconscious mind doesn't process negative. Absolutely. So when you say something like, um, don't forget to do, uh, to do blah, 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 that's all your mind hears is blah, 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 um, not the not. So whenever possible, and I have to still catch myself all the time, but I try to remember to mm-hmm. say, Bruce, don't forget to clean out the kitty boxes. Rather, I try to say, Bruce, please remember to clean out the kitty boxes. Uh, and, you know, I think we're programmed to, to do the negatives, but it's really important to try and keep it positive and keep the knots out of there. Yeah, absolutely. And here's a good research that you may want to do uh, for those of you who are skeptical about this, uh, this concept. Do a Google search. And well, hopefully not Google search. Maybe you can use some other search engine. I would rather you stay away. But um, do a search and find out what happens if you do a search for not football. You want to you want to research any sport but football. Put in not football and see what you get. Tell me if you get anything but football. It is a very hard habit, and that's why when you get your when we get set up in fear the way we are, all we're going to see is the bad stuff, and we're not going to see the good things that are happening. We're not going to really focus on anything but the fear that's being sold on mainstream media, and therefore, all we see is that. And and, and I'm sure it's no coincidence that most of the people that are that are getting COVID are the mask wearers. So that because they're looking for that, they're so fearful about that. What you attract is the fear that you're most afraid of. You attract more of that. Yes. Well, and for those who think that masks are a good idea, maybe take a look at, are you wearing one because of fear? Are you moving away from what you don't want rather than moving towards what you want? Because 
it's never a good idea to do something out of fear unless your life's threatened or, you know, something like that. Um, because remember that when you've got something on your face like that, you're not getting as much oxygen as you normally would. You're rebreathing your carbon dioxide, which your body is trying to expel. Um, you're rebreathing toxins. And, you know, the inside of a mask, if you're wearing it for any length of time, gets moist and warm, and that's a good breeding ground for bacteria and fungus. And I know my esthetician was telling me that she's seen a lot of people coming in for facials and skincare because they're having issues with uh, irritation with their masks um, on their on their face. Yeah, it's 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 pretty amazing. And you know, like my friend who who asked me, you know, you seem like the kind of guy who's really concerned about people. I can't believe that you're not wearing your mask or wearing a mask ever. And you know, it reminds me of a meme I saw. If I have to wear if if I have to wear a mask to protect your health. I'm going to slap. I'm going to start slapping McDonald's out of your hands, or slapping the cigarettes out of your hands every time I see you with one. <laughs> it's a hard habit, at least for me, and I'm sure it is for many people. It's a hard habit to to change. Well, what a weird concept that is that we're supposed to protect everybody's health. I mean, you know, if it's like since when have we been so afraid of a virus? We've had viruses and bacteria around for eons, eons of time. They've always been around. They're part of they're part of our ecosystem. They're part of life, and actually, they're necessary for life. As a matter of fact, ninety nine over ninety nine percent of the bacteria are essential for our life, and viruses same thing. So for us to be afraid of all of a sudden one particular virus, it just seems so strange. And all of a sudden, we are so worried about having people die that we're going to start shutting down the world and we're going to start wearing masks and having kids not even see facial expressions anymore and basically have no more human contact because we're afraid of having a few people die from a virus that has been killing people forever. There's, there have been viruses killing people long 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 time and now all of a sudden it's really no different and all of a sudden it seems like we're acting like as if this is the only time for happening and one of the things that occurs in this is um or one person mentioned once if i knew that my mom was real compromised and she was going to pass away if she did get covid even if i care so dearly about my mom i would never ask the world to shut down and to stop everybody from uh, or start having everybody wear masks in order to try to save my mom. I can never do that to the rest of the world. So we have to consider that, you know, what's going on here. And I think it's important for everyone to think about the damage that's been done from the lockdowns. I have seen a lot of articles with data showing that more damage has been done from the lockdowns than actually from the SARS-CoV-2. You know, there have been a lot more deaths due to suicide, people losing their businesses, people not having enough to eat. It's, it's really criminal when you think about it. I can't remember if you mentioned drug overdose, opioid overdoses, all kinds. Yeah, there's so many things that are happening that are creating a lot more deaths than what COVID might be. It's incredible. I know. And, you know, I uh, was recently in contact with a, a 19 year old who, poor thing, she has recently been in, well, let's see, in the last year, 
Um, four of her friends have committed suicide. Uh, two died from fentanyl overdoses. And her father has tried to commit suicide twice in the last couple of weeks. Um, this is all collateral damage from the lockdowns and, and the fear-mongering and, you know, the whole... Well, I know, it's ridiculous. And you know what? The, I just heard of a local case around here where I live where somebody committed suicide, and I'm sure they were depressed because of the whole situation with their business and everything else, and it was termed by some of my friends as a COVID death because it was related to him being depressed about COVID. So that shows you what kind of COVID cases we're seeing out there. And I've also got a really good friend who mentioned that his grandfather passed away after a few years of dying from congestive heart failure. And on the death certificate, they had COVID. The family went back to the doctor and confronted him and said, how come you have COVID on here on the death certificate? It wasn't a COVID death at all. He had been dying well before COVID for a long time from congestive heart failure on gradual. And the doctor actually admitted that there was a financial incentive for putting COVID. That's why they put it on there, because he did test as a positive COVID at one point in the care. But that's not at all what caused it. So it's really you have to question. And I heard in the States it's even worse where there's a lot of money incentive for calling it a COVID case. And we have to question that. We have to get answers about that. This is something we need to know. Well, you know, I've heard about this, but it's really great that you actually have a personal example um, because I think that's important. It, it makes it uh, much closer to home when you know someone who actually uh, has had an experience or has a friend who's had an experience. So it's pretty obvious that there's a great financial incentive uh, for diagnosing COVID rather than what the diagnosis actually is. Yeah, it's very sad, but it's happening. And when I was talking to my friend who thought that I was in the cult, uh, he uh, he had told me, I had told him that in the States, I, as far as I knew, it was a $30,000 bonus to the hospitals for, that's what I had heard from, I thought, good sources. And then I told him it's probably happening in Canada too. And he said, no, it's not happening in Canada for sure, because it's a different system. It's not a private health system like in, in, in the States. But I heard this right after that. I heard it from a really good friend who I know is telling me the truth. And I said, do you have that in writing or do you have any documentation? He says, no, unfortunately, it was just a conversation that we had with the doctor and we didn't get it in writing about the financial incentive that even the Canadian doctors are getting or the, the hospitals, not necessarily the, I don't know if the doctors themselves get the initiative, the incentive or not, but it's, it's happening. Okay. Well, I'd like to move on to the topic of vaccinations and um, also ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine. Um, I think it's, it's, really criminal how vaccinations are being pushed as the solution to all of this, which they are not at all. And ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine and zinc and vitamin D3 and uh, high doses of vitamin C and all of these things um, are, aren't being talked about at all. And there are doctors around the world. I've, I've watched videos of them speaking. I've read articles where they're using ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine uh, with usually with uh, zinc or um, uh, what's the, there's an antibiotic that they use too. Sure. And they're having great results. Like 
either no deaths or maybe one out of thousands, you know, people recovering quickly um, and, you know, they're having great results, but yet we're pushing vaccines um, rather than being preventive and talking about what can you do, just like with the flu or a cold or anything else, what can you do to strengthen your immune system so that your body can handle this on its own? You know, we're being pushed and bullied into getting this vaccine. And then now everything is going to be better uh, with boosters. Now it's, you know, you need three shots. Um, This vaccine isn't going to be able to handle the variants. So then we need more vaccines for the variants. And it's ridiculous. What happened to our bodies that are, have been created to be able to handle bacteria, viruses, germs, whatever? Why do we think that vaccines are going to solve anything? I was reading that a doctor put together a kit for patients with, um, I believe it was ivermectin and zinc and a couple of other things uh, as a preventive that he uses, and it costs two dollars and thirty-five cents, mm. and that's it. Yeah, there's, there's certainly, there's, uh, I mean, even vitamin C in high doses can do some amazing things. There's zinc. There's so many natural things that can be used that can really help the immune system tremendously. How come the, how come the mainstream media doesn't focus on, on making sure that your immune system is kept up to par by staying active and doing the right things nutritionally? Nothing is being focused on that at all. It's all about the fear. But even the doctors that were practicing vitamin C, high doses of vitamin C in the States, there were clinics were closed down. And if I remember correctly, it was sometime in June last year that they were shut down because it was controversial, that it wasn't following the mainstream kind of uh, practice in, in COVID cases. But yeah, it, it, you know, the really good thing about this, about this whole COVID vaccine, uh, no, let's not call it a vaccine, the COVID injectable, we'll call it a government injectable. I think that's a term for it. Um, It's not a vaccine for sure. And personally, I have been very outspoken and we have five children who are unvaccinated, our oldest being in her 40s. And we have five unvaccinated children and we have nine grandchildren unvaccinated. And we've always thought that it didn't make sense to inject something in your body to build immunity. As it's funny, I've I was brought up as a teenager in a regular kind of family and I had great parents and they were very skeptical of a lot of the things that were out, you know, that were being sold to people by different um, governments and so on. They were somewhat skeptical, but not not overly. So I grew up with a lot of skepticism about what was going on with what we were being told and what the governments were telling us and so on. I was a smoking uh, teenager. I smoked from 15 years old to about 19. And as I was smoking and buying cigarettes, I always wondered, how come I can even buy these cigarettes if we know they're bad for us? How uh, How come I can buy all this junk food when we know it's not good for us and it's being sold all over? And how come it's so easy to buy all this stuff? How come the governments aren't putting a stop on it? So I always had a question. Then when I became a chiropractor in 1980, um, just when I was in my in my courses, uh, the first year of my courses, uh, one of the teachers mentioned vaccine and he said, it's something that we should look at and question whether or not that's really a good thing or not. 
And so he, what he said is he said, it's just something we should rethink because it, may, it really doesn't make a whole lot of sense to put some germs into your body to develop immunity when in fact our bodies have all the capability to develop its immunity on its own very, very well. And right away, intuitively, that made absolute sense to me. At the time, I thought we were created being perfect, so why should we need to inject germs in our body in order to develop immunity? It does not make sense to me. So I then did a lot of research on it, a ton of research, in order to be able to educate my patients. I didn't do the research to try to convince myself. I was already convinced as soon as I heard that that was a possibility. I'd never heard that possibility. I always thought, just like we were so, it was so much propaganda about vac vaccines that I never even questioned whether that was something that I should question. And that's how it is for a lot of people. They don't even question it. They say, well, of course it's good. Like you're being an irresponsible parent if you don't vaccinate. Like it's, it's just a thing to do. But meanwhile, it did not make sense to me. I did tons of research. And as a result, I was able to educate my patients about why it should be something to look at possibly avoiding. And I said, this is your choice. I've chosen not to vaccinate any of my children, but it's your choice. I'm not going to tell you what to do. I just would like you, I urge you to look at both sides of the coin and make that decision based on critical research, uh, critical thinking, and deciding what's best for you. So, and then I was telling my patients right from day one, Look at what others, you know, you're coming into my office for healthcare. It's going to be a little different than the regular healthcare that you're used to. Well, look at what others are doing and do the opposite. That's going to be the best way. And then look at what other people are putting into their grocery carts and do the opposite. Get the good stuff. And listen to what governments are telling you to do and do the opposite. So it's quite, that, was, that was something I was seeing right in the early days of my <laughs> practice. And... Uh, I always uh -huh. felt like you have to look at what everybody else is doing and consider the opposite and and only follow rules if they make sense, like I said earlier, you know, like, and so then after that, in the mid 80s, uh, when I was in my fifth year of practice, roughly, I read these books called Rhinoceros Success. It was a trilogy of books and it talked about being a rhino in your life and being, being a rhino <laughs> was the analogy of being the lone animal that tucks its head down, horn forward, and just charges through life, having done its critical thinking and deciding what's best and charging through no matter what, the charging rhino. Rhinos are lone animals. They're not herd animals. So unlike the, the sheep and we were, you know, unless the, unlike the sheep and the cows that are running through society, it talked about in the books as the cows being led and the sheep being led by the super cows, which he considered the government. <laughs> So it all made uh -huh. sense to me. It was like, wow, this is so cool. I can talk about the rhinos instead of saying, you know, don't look at, you know, look at what the governments are doing, do the opposite. I really got into this whole rhino philosophy thing. And I had rhinos in my office. And I had rhinos, like uh, statues of rhinos, different statues. And people would ask me, why, why all the rhinos? <laughs> and I'd say, because I want you to make your own decisions about your health. And I want you to start becoming more of a rhino than being a cow or sheep. And that's what, how it all started. 
So it got people to discuss the, uh, the option of making their own minds about what's best for their health and what's best for their own bodies and what's best and how to be a sovereign human being. It was, uh, yeah, it was a really great way to educate people about being sovereign and to, and I would say, I would very honestly say, look, I'm going to tell you all kinds of recommendations about what to do with your health and what to do for your health, but don't just take my word for it. Do your research. And if it all makes sense to you after what I've told you and what you've researched, then go for it. But please don't just take me as just your, your, your godly source. There should be no godly sources. The only godly source you should have is yourself. You're the sovereign being you have to listen to, following your intuition, following what your gut says is the best thing to do. And that's really how I led my practice. Well, I think as a society, we've been brought up to, to revere those in the medical profession. Um, not that we shouldn't look up to people who have spent years learning their craft, but I think we have delegated the responsibility for our self-care to others. And um, rather than it being a, a co-patient, doctor, nurse, healthcare professional, well, rather than it being something where we're working together to maintain, create uh, health, it's uh, looking up to a doctor for the answer. On Bobby Kennedy's website, the Children's Health Defense Fund, I was reading that Johnson & Johnson is going to be starting trials vaccinating newborns. Why does a newborn need a vaccination for this? I think it's outrageous. and. I truly hope that mothers and fathers out there don't don't let your baby be a uh, a guinea pig for this. I just I can't even imagine how parents can feel good about jabbing their little ones with uh, what is it in the states now? It's by the time a child is eighteen, they've had seventy two doses of vaccine. What the f for? It's outrageous. And I can only think that, you know, parents are just trusting that their doctor knows best, but the doctors only know what they've been trained to know unless they take an interest in something and um, decide to take their learning further. Oh, God. It's just, it's incredible. I mean, personally, um, I, I mean, I might as well tell you my, my truth the way I see it, because I don't see any reason why any vaccine should ever be used. And I'll tell you why. I took a seminar back in the mid, mid to late 80s by a doctor, um, Dr. Marini, who had done, uh, he had been a researcher, a vaccine researcher for years. And he eventually got out of vaccine research on the basis that he got so disillusioned with the fact that all the money that was coming in to, to fund the research that they were doing was for, from the pharmaceutical companies. They were the, the companies that were funding the research, obviously. Now, when they would do the research, they would find sometimes that it wasn't very favorable for the vaccine. So they would have to re-extrapolate numbers and they had to redo the research a little bit with changing a few factors to make it so that it would be at least favorable for the vaccine company. And then when he saw that happening over and over again, and if they didn't do that, they wouldn't get further funding for the next research. 
So it became a vicious cycle where they had to definitely follow what the company wanted him to find as positive results. Otherwise, he wouldn't get further funding. So he eventually got out of the whole research, vaccine research, and became a very outspoken guy on why you should not vaccinate. And one thing he told me, which was really life-changing for me as far as really understanding even more fully uh, how vaccines can be so harmful and, and so inefficient, is that this is a really cool concept, and I learned this, like I said, back in the mid or to late 80s. Okay, so if you have a germ, let's call it a measles germ, that's floating around in the actual environment, it has a very specific form, and it will form an antibody in your body to bind to that measles germ, correct? You all understand that. So it's like a lock and key mechanism. The measles germ is like very, very specific. It has little cogs. I mean, let's imagine it's like a key and it has very specific cogs to make it a, a true measles germ. Then if you take the measles vaccine and you say, oh, if I take this measles vaccine, it's going to make me immune to the measles because it's going to create immunity for the measles. Well, unfortunately, germs have a terrible shelf life. They have a shelf life of approximately 8 to eight to 24 hours, depending on the germ, as soon as they're off the Petri dish. So they'd need preservatives, adjuvants, stabilizers, and a lot of different chemicals to make that that germ is going to survive in a vaccine. It's not very good for sales for a pharmaceutical company if you have to sell that vaccine and use it within 12 hours. Right. <laughs> <laughs> That's not going to work. So... So they, they have to, therefore, put all these chemicals and adjuvants and so on in the vaccine, in the germ. So the germ then that you're getting through the vaccine is a vaccine germ, a measles vaccine germ, and a very different lock and key mechanism that's going to be created by the body's antibody system, by the immune system, that will not fit at all the same as what the measles requires. So in other words, you then develop an antibody in your body for the measles vaccine germ, but then the measles germ comes along and it's not going to fit. You do not have any antibodies created for the true measles germ. So therefore, you still have to develop an antibody for it. So it really is inefficient in every single case. There is no case that I can say that vaccines are actually efficient and will make a difference. I'm very bold to state that, but I'm very accurate, I'm sure, to state that. There are no vaccines that actually will make a difference in creating immunity, and there are no vaccines that are safe. There are absolutely no safe vaccines. What's safe about putting formaldehyde in your body or in you know all these stabilizers and aluminum, thimerosal, which is a form of, of uh, mercury, all kinds of different chemicals. Every single vaccine has at least three chemicals in it in order to have some kind of preservative life to it. And when does that make sense to put all those chemicals in the body and to expect that that's actually going to help your body's immune system? You're basically creating all kinds of different things in your body that you're creating chemical cocktails. There have been doctors have been challenged to drink the uh, toxins, the chemicals that are that are binded with chem with vaccines. There have been challenges that the challenge is done and nobody would take the challenge yet. They expect you to put it right into your bloodstream. Putting it into your digestive system is a lot safer than putting it into your bloodstream. Could you imagine what that's doing to your body? It's incredibly harmful and never makes sense. Yes. And, you know, when you think about it, when I was growing up, um, 
I, I mean, I think I had, I had a polio vaccine and maybe smallpox. I don't remember, but that's it. And I, I never heard of anyone with asthma, allergies, uh, autism, ADHD, chronic illnesses. Um, I mean, if you look at the graphs, the rise in the use of vaccinations coincides with the rise of chronic illness, autism, allergies, asthma. Well, for sure. Um, there's a study that was done in New Zealand. Um, it was published in the Epidemiology Journal in, uh, in, in New Zealand, where they took a bunch of families that were uh, vaccinated versus non-vaccinated. They actually had the guts to find out if this is really causing the problems they thought it was causing. So they took hundreds of families from vaccinated versus unvaccinated families. And by age nine, they wanted to find out how many cases of asthma there were and how many cases of allergies in both groups of vaccinated versus unvaccinated. So they took the both groups and by age nine, they made sure the right. socioeconomic levels were the same in both groups. They made sure that doctor visitation habits were the same in both groups because you could have a, a group of families that only goes to the doctor when your child is dying versus um, a group of families that goes for every second day to go make sure their kid's still okay. But they made sure the doctor visitation habits were the same in both groups. And they made sure that smoking was not a factor because that could influence asthma and allergies too. So it couldn't be any smoking families. When I heard this, when I started hearing this research, I thought, well, it's probably going to be like a, a lar much larger percentage of people that um, th that are non-vaccinated. I mean, it's going to be wow. it's going to be amazing. So guess what? Of all the cases that were vaccinated by age nine, 23% had asthma and 29% had allergies. Mm -hmm. Now, in the non-vaccinated group, they, they, again, say all those factors were the same. And I expected it might be like 5% in the non-vaccinated group. Both for allergies and asthma, it was 0% in the non-vaccinated group. Isn't that incredible? That is amazing. And also, it really is. there's also another interesting thing about allergies and asthma. The Amish Healthcare Center called Home, Home First Healthcare System. Look it up, Home First mm -hmm. Healthcare System. They had approximately 30,000 children that had to come through their healthcare system. It was Amish families, therefore they did not believe in vaccine or drugs in general, I think very little. And they were not vaccinated. And there were no cases of autism in the 30,000 families that had followed through. So when you look at the autism rate in the average families, I think it's up to approximately, I, I don't know the exact latest number, but as far as I know, it's, it's, um, oh, it's, it's, it's super high. I believe it's like um, one out of, at least one out of, it's more than one out of 10 children will be uh, autistic these days. I should actually have looked up that number, sorry. But it's a very, very high percentage of the vaccinated public that is, that is, um, that is autistic, which is really sad. Now, one thing that I have found, and you can ask any of my family or friends about this, oh I can walk up to somebody who is a non-vaccinated child and walk up to the parent and say, you haven't vaccinated your child, have you? Without knowing anything about the family. This is random in wherever it might be, some restaurant or whatever. And I can tell by their eyes whether they've been vaccinated or not. And interestingly enough, ask my family, 
that I've never been wrong on that. I've always been able to see a non-vaccinated child by the way their eyes are clear and bright. And we can see it in our children for sure. And in all the children, we know the hundreds of children that are non-vaccinated that we've seen. We see this brightness and this this life energy that's flowing through them that does not flow if you're being subdued by drugs and chemicals that are produced and that, that are contained in the vaccines and you know all the other drugs that are contained in everyday life in the average family. But you can actually see it in their eyes. And I don't know how I figured that out and how I I don't know anybody else who can actually do that. But I can tell by their eyes that there's a brightness, a clarity that is not present in a vaccinated child. So that tells you a lot. If you could tell if a child is vaccinated by how they look and that they're actually putting out um, just a more clear life energy, there's something to that. Absolutely. And, you know, I always think of my mom when I was growing up, she was a believer in vaccines because it was her understanding due to the marketing by the pharmaceutical companies that polio was eradicated because of the polio vaccine. And it turns out that that's not true. Polio was already, uh, the incidence of polio was going way, way down before the vaccines. And that's because of better hygiene, um, better food, uh, better better living conditions. Oh, yeah. If you want to learn about this, there's a really, really good book by Dr. Suzanne Humphreys called Dissolving Illusions. Yeah. And she is a nephrologist. She was not anti, you know, she was not against vaccinations at all until she started seeing correlations in her practice with uh, vaccinated children and kidney issues. And she started looking mm-hmm. into this. And, you know, this happens with a lot of doctors. They're, they're taught to be pro-vax vaccine. Um, I was trained as a nurse to just give vaccines. We never even questioned it. Mm-hmm. I remember when I was doing my, my pediatrics rotation, jabbing poor, oh, I can't believe I did it now, but jabbing poor little kids with their vaccines because that's what we thought was right until you learn differently. And, you know, with a lot of doctors and nurses, they they start seeing connections between vaccines and adverse reactions, and they start questioning. But this book by Dr. Humphreys goes into the history of the Industrial Revolution and how uh, the increase in sanitation and better nutrition and better living conditions started to reduce the incidence of all of these diseases way before the vaccines started. Oh, for sure. If I mean, we've I've got all the graphs that show that all these different diseases were were largely well, they were all going down tremendously from the early 1900s down to when most of the vaccines were introduced in the late 50s or 60s in that range. And all the diseases and the deaths were coming down tremendously all those years. You look it up; those graphs are very readily available. And then. Vaccines were introduced and it kept going down, but it was already down about 99% in most cases, all these diseases. And then it went down the same rate as it was going down before already because the sanitation factors being improved, refrigeration being improved in the early 1900s, and just sanitation in general. I mean, I've done some work in Africa and I know that the streets are nowhere near as clean as they are here in, in North America. And that's because there's so much uh, sewage and garbage in the streets, unfortunately, still. And that's why disease is so prevalent still in those areas, because the sanitation factors haven't been cleaned up yet. 
happen, unfortunately. And one more thing on polio. I wanted to mention one thing on polio, which I'm not sure if you're aware of. But a very interesting thing about polio is that when polio vaccine was introduced, I believe it was in around the 1960s, early 60s or 65 or in that range, there was a very high amount of people that were diagnosed with polio. But aseptic meningitis, which is a very similar disease that uh, would present to the same kind of symptoms as polio, but it's a self-limiting disease, aseptic meningitis, look it up. Is that bacterial? Um, yes, I believe it is. Yeah. And it is very similar to polio, but it does it's very self-limiting and it's not anywhere near as, as dangerous. But anyway, aseptic meningitis had very few cases that were being reported, but polio was very high. I believe it was in the range of, let's say, 265 per 100,000. I've got the number somewhere. But it was very high cases of polio versus very low cases of aseptic meningitis. After the polio vaccine was introduced, the medical, the American Medical Association redefined what a true polio case should be. And so what happened is they then had five strict criteria that had to be adhered to in order to be a true polio case, including, of course, fever and sore legs and, and high blood cell count and a few other things. So very five very strict criteria. So as soon as those criteria were introduced between when the numbers came out of before and after polio vaccine, all of a sudden polio was down to almost zero five years later. But aseptic meningitis went up exactly the same amount as polio went down. So basically, it was a redefinition, and it was all manufactured by the pharmaceutical industry. And for those of you who think this is just a conspiracy theory, it is not. It is conspiracy research. And one more thing on the vaccine thing, where, again, it's like some people listening to this must be thinking, ah, this guy's totally out to lunch. There's no way my doctor said vaccine is so important, <laughs> and I'm not going to distrust that. Well, you know, there's a guy that I highly respect. I'm not going to say his name, but he's a teacher. He's a mentor for a lot of people. And he is a very much a critical thinker. And he teaches a whole method of evaluating your life with critical thinking and coming up with things that in all categories of your life in order to define exactly what your life should look like. I knew him enough to email him and ask him what he thought about vaccine and what kind of critical thinking he had done about it and at what point. And I was wondering if through all his critical thinking, he had actually looked into it. And he told me that, you know what, unfortunately, I got sucked into the system like everybody else. And I didn't even think that was something I should look into till I met another guy who was a chiropractor who actually told him that he should look into it. And he did. And it was after that point that he changed his mind. He looked into the research and he said, wow. And he stopped the vaccine program immediately. And that's another thing. Some people say, well, I've already started the vaccine program with my kids, so I guess I can't stop, right? Oh, that's I said, a good well, point. that would be like saying, you know, I just found out that I'm eating arsenic in certain ones, parts of some of my food, so maybe I should keep going because I shouldn't stop now because I've already started eating arsenic. No, if it's poison, it's poison. You can always stop a program at any time and don't ever think that you have to continue just because you started. Really, it does make about as much sense as I've been eating poison all my life. I'd better keep on because I've been doing it for 20 years. Mm -hmm. So, Yeah, that's a, that's a very good point. I hadn't thought of that. 
and I, I didn't know uh, about that other research. So, uh, mm -hmm. and again, I've got all that information. And by the way, if anybody wants to ask me any questions or whatever, <laughs> it's interesting that my email address is actually related to the Rhino books. I my first email address, I got my first computer at around 1989 or 90, uh -huh. and I called I called my email address the Rhino Cairo at gmail.com. <laughs> I love it. So, Robert, what is your email? Uh, the Rhino Cairo at gmail.com. And again, it's a reminder to be a rhino in your life and not to just do things because it's cows and sheep, uh, like the cows and sheep are telling you to do. And by the way, I forgot to mention, rhinos have very thick skin in real life. They have two-inch thick skin. And in real life, the analogy is that you have to have thick skin in order not to be drawn back by the cows and sheep that are telling you, oh, moo, come this way, moo, come this way. This is where the crowd's going. Follow me. This is where the cliff is where we're going to jump off all together and we're just going to do the, the whole thing. So it just makes sense to just be the rhino, be the lone animal and just charge through your life. So the rhino Cairo at gmail.com, T-H-E-R-H-I-N-O-C-H-I-R-O at gmail.com. And that's my email address. Yeah. So one other thing before we wrap up that I'd like to share with people is, you know, it's common saying but it really is true follow the money because there are people making tons and tons billions and billions of dollars on all of this and i wish i didn't think to um try to find this article that i read it was it was actually in the beginning but it was it, it was about the marketing points a marketing firm had been hired to you know like how do we sell how do we sell vaccines? How do we sell the lockdowns? How do we sell uh, wearing masks? You know, what, what, do we, what do we need to put out there to get, get people on board? Uh, it, it wasn't just a, um, how do I want to say it, you know, a spontaneous sort of off-the-cuff kind of thing. It was all very well planned out. And there were, you know, quite a few points that this marketing agency came up with on, you know, how to sell this to the public. Interesting that um, ever since this whole COVID thing started back in March, early March last year, myself and our family right away could see through it. And I had been telling people for 20 plus years, at least 25, 30 years, I'd say, I've been telling people whenever we have a certain um, a certain uh, case of measles that's really high, all of a sudden we have an epidemic of measles or we have an epidemic of whooping cough or we have an epidemic of Asian flu or West Nile virus or SARS or whatever it might have been. I kept telling people this is strictly marketing for the pharmaceutical agencies. What they're doing is they're gradually getting you back into fear mode because if you get too complacent about the vaccines, they have to remind you that if you don't follow the program and if you don't get back into the fear mode of, of knowing that there's a bad guy out there and if there's a bad guy the virus and the bacteria you need a, a good guy and that would be the vaccines and the drugs that come and save you but that's not really what it's all about as we know but that's been the marketing throughout the years is that there's been very clever marketing to keep people in fear as soon as they started seeing people slip away into a more where the anti-vaxxers were starting to show up a little bit more let's get 
get another little case of uh, measles out there and let's expand this a little bit and make it look really bad so that we can create more fear and get people back into our grip again. Mm -hmm. It's really what it's been all about all, all the way. And then all of a sudden when COVID came along, we thought, okay, here we go again, another marketing scam that's going to be getting people back in fear. And then we thought, holy crow, this is the big one. This is the one where they're really coming for us. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I don't remember what year, maybe you do, but when, because I can remember uh, when I used to watch TV, there were no pharmaceutical ads. And then I forget what year it was that it started. And I don't remember if it was, ah, oh, gosh, I do so much reading, but whether it was a, a, a law or something that allowed the pharmaceutical companies to advertise on TV. But, you know, you might want to, when you're watching TV, uh, instead of walking away when the ads come on, count how many pharmaceutical ads there are. I mean, it's ridiculous. It's, it's incredible. And, you know, the scary thing is that, you know, we, we have all this money that's being made by the pharmaceutical companies and 10% of their profits is being spent on drug adver on advertising, on ad on, which is a huge amount of money. And then 18% of their profits is being spent on government lobbying. Oh, wow. So, so there's a lot of money being spent to make governments follow what their agenda is going to be best for their profits. And it's not about saving people. It's about making profits. We know that. Mm -hmm. And uh, on that line, too, when I was doing some work in Africa and I was uh, speaking to the leaders over there, the medical leaders that were you know, uh, leaders of millions of people in Africa when I was working with chiropractic over there, I would ask this question, and this is really an interesting question, and I think for all of you listening, this would be a little quiz for you. So I'm going to ask you, if the whole world is made up of 100% of the population, what percentage of the world's population is made up by U.S. and Canada? So I'm going to ask you that, I'm going to let you ponder on that for a second, and try to come up with a number. What percentage of the world's population is U.S. and Canada? Okay, so when I ask most people that here in Canada, it's usually in the range of 10%, and it actually is 5.5%. When I asked that to the leaders in Africa, they also answered around 10%. Great. Okay, perfect. We're on board. Now, next question. Of all the pharmaceuticals in the world, including vaccines, what percentage of the pharmaceuticals are being consumed by North America? I'm going to let you ponder on that. You're thinking, no, that should be a little bit higher. Well, when I asked that to the leaders in Africa, the answer was, well, probably about 5 to 10% then, you know, because they're thinking, well, it must be, you know, the same average as what the uh, population is. Well, the actual fact is that it's about 78 to 80% of the pharmaceuticals are consumed by U.S. and Canada. Mm -hmm. I was so going to say 75. So yeah. yeah, and that's what most people say. They usually say around the 80% mark. They're actually very accurate. They know that drugs are being super abused here in Canada and the States. So the next question then, again, asking to our leaders in Africa, I would ask, okay then, so if we're consuming 80% of the pharmaceuticals in Canada and the U.S., what percent, I mean, what on a scale of one to 40, with 40 being uh, the 40 industri industrialized nations in the world, a study that's done by the World Health Organization, which is not a study of longevity, because longevity doesn't mean a whole lot. You could be dying for a long time. It's about what's your health quotient. There's different <laughs> things you do to study health quotient. Okay. So of top 
40 industrialized nations that they study, with one being the healthiest, where do you think we are in U.S. and Canada? I would ask that question to the uh, officials in Africa. Their answer would be, oh, probably one of the top few percent, because they're thinking we have all the answers. We're just amazing. We must be so great because we have all these drugs. We must be so healthy. And I'd say, no, actually, we're 37th in Canada and 39 in U.S. And I think it's 40 in U.S. right now, and we're probably around 39 in Canada. These numbers I'm getting are a few years old, and I haven't looked in the last few years. So we have the most drugs and the most vaccines in the whole world, and yet we're the least healthy of the 40 industrialized nations that are being studied. Does that make you question that maybe we have to look at different solutions for our health, that maybe we have to be rhinos and start looking at what we put into our grocery carts and what we do to follow the different people to maybe not think about following the same people that we do follow and Mm -hmm. maybe not listen to what the governments are telling us what to do because the governments are telling us what's going to be best for the corporations and the businesses around the world, not what's necessarily best for the people. Right. And Robert, am I correct that we have one of the worst infant mortality rates also? That's true. It's even worse now. Recently, I just heard recently that we went down even further. And yet we have apparently we're supposed to be the best, but we actually have the worst. And and so maybe people might want to question, could vaccines have something to do with that? Possibly, maybe. Possibly. And that's why we've had five home births. All of our children have been born at home. We feel we're safer at home than we are in a hospital. And of course, we were being smart about it. We did our research and we, you know, we we did everything we could to make sure that if there were anything that was that any factors that needed to be attended to before we would have been in a hospital, but everything was going well. And you know what, if you let nature take its course, 99% of the time, baby will be born perfectly normal. So it's Mm -hmm. like, why should we be in the hospital for every single birth? This is not a disease. (laughs) Giving birth is not a disease. It's just a very natural phenomenon. And so why should we all of a sudden be treated like we're sick with pregnancy and we have the actual cure and that's being in the hospital to be have your baby born? Mm -hmm. I think we should consider that that might be something we should we should be looking at. Yep. Yep. I agree. That's why there are qualified midwives and you have backup plans just in case something happens, right? You're not, you're not silly about and, it, but um, yeah, yeah. And I've, I've been reading and, and hearing so many wonderful things about water births and. Uh, it can be a beautiful thing, but it doesn't have to be a medical intervention, you know, and, and now with babies being born and seeing their moms with masks, that's even, oh, God. that's disgusting. And it's, it, it hurts me to no, to no end. And I just the other day saw two children walking from school. They're blocks away from their school already, and they're still wearing their stupid little mask, and they're less than 10 years old. Come oh, on. Also, after talking to uh, Dr. Sushari Bhakti, he was saying that these little kids wearing masks, number one, it's messing up their cognitive, excuse me, it's messing up their cognitive development. But number mm-hmm. two, they... Their facial expressions and connecting facial expressions with the voice and, you know, it's all part of their learning and their development that's getting messed up. And honest to God, when I see a little, a little toddler in somebody's grocery cart with a effing mask on, I want to rip the damn thing off and I want to take the parent to the side and say, do you know what you're doing to your child? Do you have any idea how dangerous this is? 
I, I know it's just sickening to see that and we can't believe it. And, you know, like it, I, I think people don't understand how important it is to stand up and make a make a statement that you don't need to wear, be wearing a mask. And, you know, I haven't worn a mask once since this whole pandemic started last year, not once. And I refuse to. And every time I go into a store or a place where they demand a mask, they say, sir, you're supposed to be wearing a mask. I say, sorry, I can't wear a mask. And they say, you can't wear a mask. I said, no, I look them straight in the eye and I say, no, I can't wear a mask. And it's true. I can't wear a mask in good conscience. I cannot wear a mask. And I feel like, you know, like, like my favorite quote, if it is to be, it is up to me. And, you know, another thing that I said earlier is that if you're not part of the solution, you're part of the problem. So we have to stand up and, and not acquiesce to that baloney. We have to be able to be powerful. And, you know, rather than waking up the sleeping sheep right now we need to be waking up the sleeping lions that can stand up and be courageous where are the people that have courage anymore we've lost everybody everybody's lost their courage they can't even stand up and say no i'm not going to do this it's time to stand up and do it otherwise we're we're losing everything if we don't stand up for it i agree completely are you acting out of fear or is this really do you really want to wear a mask I don't think I know anyone who really wants to. And there's certainly enough research out there. And if you think that you're wearing one because a bug, a germ, virus, bacteria, whatever can be transmitted, if you're asymptomatic, it is not true. That came out of a situation where, let's see if I can just quickly summarize. It was a woman from China. She was traveling to Europe for some kind of a business conference gathering. She became sick somewhere along the way. Uh, she didn't want to, you know, not attend. So she took a cold medicine of some sort. And Dr. Bhakti said what it was. I forget exactly. And so she s- appeared asymptomatic. But she spread the SARS-CoV-2. And the, the story that developed from that was that she was an asymptomatic carrier and was spreading the virus around. But it turned out that she had a high viral load. That she was nowhere near asymptomatic. And I forget the publication, but they would not retract it. And, you know, once something like that gets out, it, it's out, right? And it's hard to, it's hard to reverse course. But, yeah, sure, you know, sure. from everything I've read and people I've listened to, there's no such thing as asymptomatic transmission. So if you feel like you, if you're sick, you're coughing and sneezing and you need to go out, you know, wear a mask. So you're not spreading your germs around if that makes you feel better. But I don't have to wear one, you know, no, I, no. and, and I really, these people who say, well, you're not, you need to wear a mask to protect me. I'm sorry, but that's bullshit. Well, that's, that's where I say, if that's the case, then I could be knocking out your cigarette or your McDonald's or your junk food out of your hand every time I see you eat it, because that's going to protect your health too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so. So, but it's like, yeah, it it really doesn't make sense that since when, I mean, if my mom, uh, my mom just passed away a few years ago, but if, if, um, if she was still alive and she was compromised, it would make sense to protect her and make sure that she doesn't get out too much and just kind of stay stay low for a while. But since when does it make any sense that we have to be so protective and, and, you know, we should be taking care of our own health individually, not us taking care of other people's health. And, you know, I, I must say that 
I know for, I, I can pretty much attest for a fact that most people are wearing masks just because they want to fit in, yep. not because they just want to make sure they're not the black sheet that's not wearing the mask. But you know what? You have to be proud to go in there and show your face and show your smile. People need to see smiles again. You know, oh, and I, I tell you, I get treated really well in stores because I'm very kind and very nice. Mm-hmm. I don't get all snitty about it and say, I can't wear a mask because you know, I, I hate to wear a mask. And I'm not going to. I just am very nice about it. And and I think after a while, people start to treat you even better because they respect the fact that you're doing something you believe in, you know, and, and so on. And, you know, it came up the other day that I went into a store locally here and I walked in and I talked to three of the clerks about something and none of them asked me to wear a mask because it's not a place that usually asks very much ever. Mm-hmm. But then all of a sudden a customer walked up to me and said, sir, you know that you're supposed to be wearing a mask in the store, right? And so my first reaction is to say, who are you? You know, are you the health, are you the Surgeon General of Canada or something? You know, of course... I, but I didn't do anything snitty. But all I said was, sir, I know very much that you that I'm supposed to wear a mask, but I can't. She says, oh, you can't wear a mask. I said, no, I can't wear a mask. And then I said, you know, maybe you should be a little more considerate and you know, be, be careful about who you ask that to. Because you never know. There's a lot of reasons why people don't wear masks. And if I had been traumatized as a child... You know, by having to wear a mask while I, while I was being tortured or something like that, and I really would have trouble talking about it, or if it brought up a bunch of bad memories, you know, how would you feel if that was the case? And he said, yeah, you're right, you know. And then he left, and I did my shopping, and as I was, I was, I was on the way out, I saw him again, and he gave me a beautiful hello, like he, out of total respect. Mm-hmm. So... Mm-hmm. I just, yep. you know, I made him think, like, why should, why should you be judgmental about why I'm not wearing a mask? There's a good reason why I'm not wearing a mask, and that's because I don't want to have an oppressive government uh, take care of us and and uh, and do whatever they want to with us. I want to have the sovereignty that we deserve and the freedom that we deserve as citizens mm-hmm. in the world. Right. And, you know, it just brought something to mind. I think this is a good place to end. How many people do you think are not leaving their house, especially young people who have developed severe anxiety disorders, uh, or even if it's not a severe disorder, they're just, they're so anxious right now about the planet, their life, what, what's Mm. available to them, what's going to happen that they will not go out because they have to wear a mask. And wearing that mask makes them even more anxious. And so they're sitting at home. I, I, I totally get that. And, and you're right. You're, you're absolutely right. There are a lot of people that just don't want to face that, you know, and even some, some people I know very dearly who don't want to even go anywhere because they don't want to face the, they don't want to wear a mask. They can't wear a mask or they, they, they can, but they don't want to wear a mask and they don't want to go face anybody because of that, too. So there's those people, too. Besides having the fear, there are some people that just don't like confrontation and will avoid confrontation at all costs. Mm-hmm. So those that don't want to wear a mask or can't wear a mask don't want to be out in public. Right. So it's really too bad. It's really, really, uh, really a sad thing for sure. So everyone, take stock. Are you a rhino? Or are you a sheep? In fact, I've decided that's going to be the title of this podcast. I Uh, love it. (laughs) I know. While we were talking, it just came to me because I was going to ask you and I thought, oh, I know what it is. And really think about, are you doing what you're doing 
out of fear or because you honestly think it's right. You honestly think it, it makes common sense, good common sense, and really use some critical thinking. That's awesome. I really enjoyed our chat together, and uh, I hope one day we get a chance to do it again. I really enjoyed uh, chatting with you, and thanks for being uh, the light that shines. And on a positive note, I really feel like this is a time where there is an awakening, where people are finally getting fed up with what's being fed to them over the years. This has been going on for thousands of years. There's been a lot of oppression going on without us even knowing it. Mm -hmm. And I really do feel like there's light at the end of the tunnel and that I'm so encouraged to see that people are looking not only at the COVID vaccine, but they're looking at all vaccines. And that's been for the first time since I've been in the healthcare industry that there's so many people that are looking at those options. So I, I think it's very encouraging. I think we have a much better world emerging. And let's finish on a positive note that we are getting into a better world for mm -hmm, sure. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I agree that I think it's really uh, people are questioning a lot of things that they weren't questioning before and, and that's that's some of the good that's coming out of this for sure yeah well thank you so much thank you so much dr robert champagne for your dedication to the good fight it was one of my favorite tv shows by the way because um, <laughs> you truly are an inspiration i have to say and yes i am looking forward to having you on again i really appreciate it oh you're very welcome and a shout out to our co-friend Nadine for connecting us together. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, Nadine's a great girl. Yeah, Love she, her. Is. she is. So remember, everyone, the podcast website is realjanine.com and Janine is J-A-N-E-A-N. To subscribe to Keeping It Real with Janine, go to iTunes or your favorite podcast provider. And you can find video slideshows on YouTube and now also on BitChute. Do you know someone who would enjoy my conversation with Robert Champagne? I'm sure you do. Please share with your social media. This really is an important conversation. Thanks for listening. Take care. And as always, be well. Be well.